Hello, everybody, and welcome back to uh, the the 14th episode of the second season of One for One. I, I actually think at this point we should now, like like make every episode so complicated where people are trying to follow along and they just can't do it every time I read off an episode title. Um, it's post, it's post Christmas break, but we're back. I'm Nolan Schumann joined as always by my co-host Miles Fuchs. Uh, Miles, how, how, how is, how is your holidays going? Um, well, Nolan, the holidays are over for for old uncle miles uh got the 24th 25th 26th and 27th off so i've been back at work this week back to the grind and uh lo and behold there's one more day until new year's eve and then a couple more days off so looking forward to it i think yours was much of the same but you got up to kingston and i am noticing people aren't going to see it but there's something big and hanging in front of your face that is new to the show does it does it make you uncomfortable when I when I come so closely and I can even like turn up the fucking gain and get it really bad like that? <laughs> no one got a new mic, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I did. It's it's very crisp and very clean as I just completely ruined everybody's eardrums by cranking up the gain on that. I apologize, everybody. But yes, thank you, Miles, for noticing my new mic. It's a very exciting day in my life. Um Needless to say, Nolan had a phenomenal Christmas. Um, actually, uh, you know, there was just there. Just, I I don't even know where I'm going with this. I I just, I just had a really fun Christmas. It was really nice. We uh, spent some time with my dad, and uh, it was just a like you know when you don't get too many people together, and it's just a nice quiet Christmas. That's exactly what it was. It was a nice quiet Christmas. I. <sighs> drank a lot of beer a lot of beer but other than that pretty mellow pretty nice pretty calm down pretty reserved you love to hear it uh that's what we love here at one for one headquarters is relaxation and getting drunk apparently we we both do we both do and you know what nolan we have had a pretty crazy week and actually we were robbed of an opportunity that I was really looking forward to, and that was a holiday season boa. Because for anybody who's new to the show, during a battle of Alberta when the Oilers and Flames face off, there is the challenge of one shotgun per goal. But unfortunately, and we'll get to that, uh, the NHL took a little bit of a break, and that was one of the games that was postponed. However, Nolan, you mentioned it, and I thought it was a wonderful segue that it was a very good Christmas, a very exciting Christmas, a very fun Christmas, because something really fun happened for us over Christmas break, and we finally get to share it with all of you. Nolan, with your blessing, can I run people at home through the table of contents for today's show? As long as you let me do a drum roll once you once you lead into it. You, you, have, to, you have to cue me up. You have to put me in the proper cue zone for the, for the drum roll. I'm going to give you a point, and then I want you to hit a drum fill like, like Enter Sandman on Rock Band. Okay, gotcha. Okay, sick. Okay, we are ready to rock. Today's episode, Season 2, Episode 14 of 1 for 1, we are going to be doing a previously on 1 for 1 recap because there were three games from the last week that we didn't get to talk about before the pause. Then we will do a little breakdown of the game last night against the St. Louis Blues. We will then move into a little bit of uh, world junior discussion. It's been a hot topic uh, 
uh, not the t-shirt store, but just in, in media uh, for the announcement yesterday, the tournament is canceled. We'll do a little bit of a prospect overview for the Oilers and uh, at team Canada. And then a little NHL roundup, super quick, not a whole lot. We want to talk about there, but then Nolan, the meat and potatoes of the episode. Probably going to get copyright struck for this one, but you know what? It's all for the pod, baby. Because we are going to be releasing the interview that we did on the 27th with Jonathan Torrens. Let's go! Better known as Jay to the ROC, we are joined by writer, producer, director, actor, Canadian legend, Jonathan Torrens. We are so excited to have had him on the show. He was a le- like awesome guy to talk to. Really looking forward to all of you hearing what he had to say with us. He was really generous with his time too. Eh? Like on a holiday, he oh. gave us like forty minutes of just a rock solid discussion. I felt I felt so bad because at like because thir- we were talking and he's like yeah it's like a half hour work and I and like at like the thirty two minute mark I said to him hey uh, do you mind if I quickly rapid fire through a couple questions uh, it'll only be a few more minutes he's like absolutely go right ahead and I'm like, yeah, thank you uh, so yeah we do have a fun interview with Jonathan Torrens that uh, that's been something that's been in the works for a while that we've been really excited about we didn't want to be too open about it because. Is, um, well, you know, you, you just want these things to finally work out, and lo and behold, they did. And like Miles said, this could not have gone any better. This was a fantastic interview, a ton of fun. And to be honest, we basically just let Jonathan cook. We we we, we <laughs> like we teed him up and and we let him do his thing. We ran a pick and roll for him, and he just he he sent it home. Three pointer. That is too many basketball references for a hockey podcast nolan can i move in to the recap 10 bucks says pastor dave is fucking so mad right now <laughs> there's gonna be a there's gonna be an instagram dm coming in hot anyway uh, but the yes miles go ahead previously on one for one the nhl paused and so did the boys after a three-hour state of the union episode in episode 13 before the pause the oilers had a three-game week against the toronto maple Leafs, the columbus blue jackets and the seattle kraken The game against Toronto was a 5-1 loss. Jack Campbell played absolutely amazing, 35 for 36 saves. Uh, Dave Tippett, coach, and Ryan McLeod, centerman, were both out with COVID. Zachary Hyman, hardworking Hyman, was hurt. And Matthews did Matthews things. He had two goals. Colton Sevier had his first with the Oilers. And what everyone was talking about was that being the sixth straight loss and the game where a jersey got tossed on the ice i find that very funny after our discussion a couple weeks ago about the canucks jersey that got thrown on the ice nolan has your opinion about jerseys being thrown on the ice being scummy or funny changed since it happened to your favorite team and not just the team we like making fun of it it, like it's tough when it comes to the oilers because like you have to you have to look at it as two different like i I guess as two different sectors of oilers fans there's like Hey, we're still like sixteen and what are they sixteen and eight, sixteen and nine now or something like that. Um, they're still quite quite good. Still two of the best players on the planet. This these things tend, do tend to work themselves out. And then there's the other half of it as a decade of darkness and 
we've like actually like won a playoff round once uh, during this whole Mc, during this whole McDavid Drysaddle era, which has lasted seven years at this point. Uh, so tick tock, shit clocks ticking, Rick. Um, so it's it, I, I I still don't think it's necessary to throw a jersey on the ice when the team is still in a pretty viable position for the playoffs. Um, but the Canucks are seven to zero since a jersey was thrown, so that's gotta be a good sign. I think so, Nolan. I agree with you there. Obviously, don't like to see it, uh, but I think that you kind of nailed the 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 nail on the head. That was tough. Uh, of the two different types of Oilers fans, so whether that's you know a decade of darkness, like fired up, I'm done kind of antic, or maybe even somebody that they just picked up along the way with the hot start to the season. Who knows? But anyway, a jersey getting thrown on the ice is nothing new for the Oilers, and uh, certainly will not be the last when your fan base is as passionate as ours. Ours members of the team with the Toronto game out of the way there. Oh, and special shout out to, uh, to, to our buddy, Mitch friend of the show, Mitch, he was actually in attendance at that game. So he, uh, will got to see his favorite team. He's a Leafs guy. Um, he played close to home. Boo! Uh, according, to him, Boo! according to him, had a couple beverages and enjoyed again, watching Matthews do Matthews things. Um, I've seen McDavid play live. I've never seen Matthews play live, but I imagine that would be a pretty exciting player to watch. So seeing him and, uh, Dry and McDavid all sharing the ice at the same time would be a pretty cool experience. So good on him. Glad you got to see the boys play. After the Toronto game, it was Columbus. The streak Columbus busted. A 5-2 win for the Oilers to end the skid. Or as our uh, friend of the show, Jack Michaels, would say, off the schneid. Where, yes, Apoli Harvey had two goals and was a huge net front presence throughout the entire game. The Oilers had 45 shots on goal. And uh, preseason MVP Brendan Pierlini and hard-working Carhartt Derek Ryan scored goals, as did uh, newly bumped-up Warren Fogle. We love to see that. Nolan, the Columbus Blue Jackets game, big win for the Oilers. What are your thoughts? Uh, I was happy to see it, and mainly just because of the bottom six scoring. Um, And it was nice to, like you said, get, get off the schneid the what 35 shots or whatever they allowed uh still not not ideal you don't like to see that especially to a team like Columbus but this is the kind of game that you need in order to kind of get your season back together and get off of that six game losing streak you need games like the Columbus game where you need to just basically beat the shit out of somebody and it seemed like that was working for a little bit um, because I don't know if you have, how long you want to spend on the Columbus game, but uh, I mean, leading right up to that next game, I'm going to, I'm going to read, I'm going to read my old, I'm going to read my title for the Seattle game. Okay. Cause okay. It, cause it, cause it, cause it, cause I wrote it right after the season got put po- right after it got all got uh, postponed here for a good time. Not a long time. Five, three win over the Seattle Kraken. And this was the game where we were really starting to see the COVID cases absolutely hammer the Oilers because they lost Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Duncan Keith, and Yesipoli Arvey all to COVID protocol, which then meant that um, recently called up Cooper Marodi, Seth Griffith, and Slater Cuckoo came back. Uh, when Kyle, as Kyle Turris went out with an injury from the game before, and unfortunately, the Oilers did not have cap space to run four full lines. Awesome. Just spectacular stuff. In- incredible work by Ken Holland. So they basically ran 12 for- or sorry, 11 forwards instead of the regular 12. 
And, I mean, what really matters from this game is we got a boosh bomb. We got a Dentine Daddy goal uh, from Cooper Marodi and Leon Dreisaitl, Warren Fogle, Colton Sevier, Warren Fogle again, and the empty netter from Connor McDavid, um, just to close it all out. This, I honestly think this might have been their their best game of the season. Because it was, they while they did allow three goals, the, the, the point was, is like, they put their foot on the throat of the Seattle Kraken, outshot them 41-17. to They were 0-for-1 on the power play, 42% on draws. Not great, but they were just... It seemed like they were getting opportunities, and that's exactly what you want. Put the puck on net, gain that momentum, gain opportunities, and eventually these things will go in. And the bottom six scoring was really starting to hit. And so we'll go into last night's game because, oh, by the way, everybody, we're recording on a Thursday. Um, we're recording on Thursday, December 30th instead of our usual, or now usual, Monday night. Uh, Miles, what did, you, what did you have to say about the Seattle game? Well, I'm disappointed that you thought it was their best game of the year, specifically because I was in absolute hyperspace that night. I was at a friend's wedding in which I was a groomsman. So congratulations to Parker and Veronica on their wedding. I feel like there's been a lot of shout outs in this episode. I'm feeling very generous this Christmas season, but well-deserved to the two of those crazy kids tying the knot, wish them well. Parker's a good friend of the show and, and a good guy in general. So the, the two of them couldn't be happier for them. But yes, I was uh, absolutely not watching that game. I was not seeing very much if you catch my drift. So haven't gotten a chance to see the highlights. Anytime that there's like, Two Fogel goals and an empty net McDad, you're always going to be happy. A Boosh bomb, never upset with that. So all in all, uh, happy that they won and were able to get uh, two out of three games the week before the pause. Because then, Nolan, we were hit with the announcement that John Taffer walked in to the NHL's building in New York City and said, shut it down, you're getting people sick. They literally were getting people sick. They were getting people sick. I mean, Bar Rescue said it first, and and they said it best. So the NHL made the decision after that to postpone all games until the 27th. Did I say postpone? I meant postpone. I'm so sorry. Uh, All games until the 27th, and now we are back. Boom, boom. Oilers hockey for all the kids to see. Last night, the Oilers went into the city of St. Louis and played the Blues. December 29th was a 4-2 loss to said Blues in a game in which I have titled, Kairu the hell are you? I, I really like that because that is, I think Gene would be incredibly proud of you. And man, he was on his pun games last night. He was back with a vengeance. Like <laughs> that was the, that was the, uh, um, oh, he's going to skewer me for saying this because we were actually having a chat about about these movies the other night but like gene was straight up like john wick coming back into action he's like i think i'm coming back and he's just guys a instead of like a bunch of weapons he's pulling out of the ground he's pulling out like a mad libs and is ready to just (laughs) knock out all the puns and he literally had a gift bag it it was it was so good it was so good so Uh. good um but uh uh, hey miles uh do do you know what also uh, also sucks about uh about uh, that broadcast Oh, um, well, I know that uh, Jack Michaels was not joined by his uh, regular compadre. He was joined instead by the Roadhouse Whopper himself. (laughs) Bob Stoffer in the booth. 
a homestyle chicken sandwich Bob Stoffer. Oh my god, just absolutely soaking wet. But... Taylor Taylor hates when Bob Stoffer's on the screen because all I'm doing is just effect effectively cyberbullying while I'm sitting in front of my TV. Guys got Snapchat just like locked and loaded. He's just always zoomed in on the camera. Like he's gonna do something, and I'm gonna get it. Yeah, this was. Uh, th- I think this was the first sign that this was gonna be an Oilers L. Was that we had Bob Stoffer in the booth with Jack this time? Well, what did all you, respect what... to we 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 love we love Jack on the show. So Jack, please, I hope you still love us. And we we miss Louis as well. But yeah, you said it yesterday. You're like, well, at least we don't have to wait till Oilers now to hear prod the prospects get shit on. Because holy smokes, poor Dmitry Samarukov. Oh, uh, welcome to the NHL, kid. It's uh, it's a tough one. <laughs> Um, so I guess the cat's out of the bag right there. Dmitry Samarukov had his very first game for the Oilers, filling in for, uh, one of the multiple COVID cases. Uh, I believe he was filling in for Darnell Nurse in this one. <gasps> yeah. And, uh, flew his wife Anastasia in for the game, which is. No, 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 no. A... Anastasia. Oh, sorry. Anastasia. Samarukov. From Russia with love, Anastasia came to watch Dmitry play hooky for Oilers. I love saying the name Samarukov. It's so cool. He and man, he's got he's got a full head of romaine lettuce. Yeah, and like looks like he's ready to kill James Bond. <laughs> he does he does look evil, but uh there was a few other players that were back as well. One of the benefits of the pause was getting a few players back. Uh those players include hardworking Hyman, Ryan Nugent Yay. Hopkins. Yay! Uh, hey, Duncan Keith. Boo! Cody CC. <laughs> Yay! And Michael Smith back in the pipes since he got hurt in like the sixth game against the Ducks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was te- tested yeah, he... early and often. Tested early and often last yeah. night. Yeah, I don't. Um... Ah, well, we'll get into it eventually. But yes. It it was nice to see Mike Smith back. I'm at least happy he's healthy and he's back to being good to go. Um, a little kind of shitty that they sent back Stuart Skinner. Yeah. Although I get it though, I get it at, at the end of the day, um, because you want to give him playing time more than anything. And calling up Ilya Konovalov though, which is sick. Did you see Stuart Skinner's like mad dash to the game last night? He got sent down from the Oilers back to Bakersfield, took a car to the rink was there 10 minutes before pregame warm-up. They did a little nice video of him kind of trolleying through the the tunnel and stuff like that, running, physically running to the dressing room, made it out for warm-ups, played the game, and got a huge overtime win. He's just so cool. What he's so stud. cool. I, I he I really hope he's the he's the future of the Oilers in net. Like I I want nothing but good things for Stuart Skinner. He's so fucking cool and he's so incredibly handsome. And a local boy. We love a local Edmonton boy playing Sweet. for the Copper and Blue. Nolan, one other yes. thing about last night is that you finally got to see your top offensive line that we have been asking for. Zachary Hyman, Connor McDavid, and Warren Fogle. We like to see that. We were excited about that. Going into this game, Nolan, we had a bunch of guys back. We had a line that we were looking forward to, and we had a prospect slotting in for the first time. Lots to be optimistic about, right? Lots that we can be excited about. This is a cool, cool day for Oilers fans. Wrong. (laughs) Yeah, um... Jordan Cairo makes a wicked smart defensive play away from away from um, 
sorry, oh my goodness, rewind. Jordan Kyra makes a wicked smart defensive play, and away the Blues went for Vladimir Tarasenko, Jordan Kyra to Robert Thomas, backdoor tapping. Um, this this passing play was just gorgeous. It was like a freaking Rembrandt painting. Just just incredible. Um, however, what was not so beautiful uh, was Dimitri Samarukov on that play. Uh, tried to play the puck. Not a great idea. And kind of got burned for it. Yes. But, you know, he's a young guy. He's going to learn from him his mistakes. Um, unfortunately, the next goal, a few minutes later, again, Jordan Cairo walks in. Samo goes for the hit, kind of goes a little bit low on him. Kairou kind of pulls the puck around him, kind of twice in a row. That's tough. Good use of adjective, Miles. Uh, about three minutes after that, and absolutely lasers one top right on Mike Smith. Very nice goal. Definitely going to be on a highlight pack. We don't like to see that. What comes after that, can we spoil the surprise about Sam Rukov? Yes. Is that he gets benched for the remainder of the game. He finishes his first NHL game with two minutes and 23 seconds on ice and goes minus two. I'll talk about that later. We will talk about that later yeah. because Nolan, Leon Dreisaitl, the German prince himself, comes back with his 50th point of the season, 31 seconds after Kairu's dangle, an absolute missile to the back of the bar, in and out from Slater Cuckoo and Kaylor Yamamoto. Kaylor Yamamoto, we love to see that. Dry at 50 already is pretty, pretty very cool. Very if can, sick. If we can very find a sick. silver lining in this game, it's definitely that. And God, when he gets that puck on net, it's it's basically a guarantee it's going in. It's insane how good of a shot he has, and it's crazy that people do not talk about Leon Drysaddle in the echelon in the upper echelon of goal scorers in the league. You know, you'll always hear, "Oh, uh, you know, Matthews and Ovi are going to be fighting for the heart." It's like, dude, Leon Drysaddle's leading the league in goals. Like, let's take a chill pill for a second. Well, like coming out of the Western League when he was playing for the for the Raiders and then the Kelowna Rockets, he was always, you know, kind of a dual threat player. If you look at his stats, he could put the puck in the net, but was more of a passer. And, you know, uh, what did McDavid say that he's the best passer in the league? Right. So this guy's kind of got that. He's got that reputation. But just like you said, um, a threat to score from anywhere on the ice. And like we've talked about on the power play, his office is a pretty lethal spot to be in as well. So Leon Dreisaitl. Keep doing what you do, my guy. Uh, so the game currently, for those keeping track, is 2-1 Blues. Until Evan Bouchard, the Dentine daddy, the kid from London, Ontario, gets a cheeky little goal midway through the second, assisted by McDavidson, to make things 2-2. We love a Bouch point, and we love a Bouch goal even more. One player away from being the Egyptian God card point, but we'll deal with that and be okay with it. Man, I get I I get so happy when I watch Evan Bouchard score a goal because every time I see him score a goal, it, part of me perks up because I'm like, this guy is putting together a season that we have not seen from an Oilers defenseman in a very long time. And then another side of me perks up and says, Rookie. how is this guy still not on the power play? There was it was very short lived, but there was an offensive sequence because Bouchard played the game with Samarukov to start, um, and there was a sequence where they were both had like just a shooting gallery on net. Yeah, they, 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 they looked they, good for a minute there. They they really did. Like puck came yeah. back, Samarukov just narrowly missed the net. Puck came around the boards back to Bouchard. He shot it on net. Uh, puck got frozen, but like two like 
decent scoring chances from the defense that we don't see very often from the Oilers. So to have, you know, a guy making his first game appearance and a guy who's in his not officially official rookie season doing that kind of stuff is fantastic to see. Very exciting. Um, I don't want to say anything else about Samo for right now. So game's 2-2. Things are rocking. Things are rolling until Vladimir Tarasenko gets one shortly after, assisted from Falk and Kairou for those keeping track at home. That is Kairou's third point. Uh, fun goal. Very, very fun goal. Very cool goal to see Vladimir score that. Um, very cool. Cool, um, cool. cool. Yeah. So let, 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 let's talk about that very cool goal, Miles. Um what the hell is Duncan Keith doing on that play? Like, just, and some people want to point the finger at Leon Dreisaitl, and I feel like that might be, like, the older crowd that wants to point at Leon Dreisaitl because of his, like, lack of back-checking. But that is all on Duncan Keith. And then there was another sequence, I want to say it was in the third period, where he has the puck at the top of the blue line in the offensive zone, and instead of just chipping it in and putting it on net, he decides he wants to do like a spinorama backhander and sends it right to St. Louis for a chance. If we're going to have this conversation about like, well, you know, you know, I'll save that. I'll save that for Samo. Move on, Miles. <laughs> All right. Uh, then... <laughs> Then the St. Louis Blues make a very smart hockey decision. Shout out to all the guys that were on the ice for this one because that is uh, what we call high hockey, high hockey IQ. Uh, the Blues get a delayed penalty call on an Evan Bouchard mishap um, and hold off getting the Oilers to touch the puck for about 10 to 7 seconds so that they can get a fresh ice to start their power play. Very intelligent. Uh, and it works out for them because they score 16 seconds into the third period and make it 4-2 Blues. Recapping the game, because that was the last one, the Oilers outshot 33-28. to They lost 28-22 to in the faceoff dot and were out hit 16-14. to As mentioned, Samarukov was benched, but not mentioned is that he got sent back to Bakersfield today. Fun fact, Nolan. Let's talk about uh, guys that could have been Oilers a lot on the show. Just thought that this one was maybe worth mentioning because it's interesting, some may say, that uh, Jordan Cairo got drafted in 2016, and he was taken uh, one, two, three picks after Edmonton took Tyler Benson in the second round. So um, we like Benson. Benson's a good guy. But if I ask you the question, who are you taking, Tyler Benson or Jordan Cairo, what are you saying? Well, yeah, you're obviously taking Jordan Cairo. How? However, 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 we need to try to not have revisionist history with this because when Tyler Benson was drafted at the position he was at, that was a huge get for the Oilers because this was like a, was he like a first overall pick in the WHL and had like a yeah. crazy amount of potential to him? Yeah, but he was a first overall pick in the Bantam draft when he was like 14 and then never really had like just a nuts production year in the dub. It was always good, but wasn't like it was wasn't it was also numbers. it was also injuries that were doing it to him. But a lot of from what a lot of the scouts were saying was that this was like a very much a first round talent that fell into the second. I think if we're going to have like the discussion about guys that went far later or sorry, that went so close to when Tyler Benson went, I think you have to line it up with actually Alex DeBrincat, who went not that long after Jordan Cairo. And 
that was written on the wall because Alex Dabrinkat scored like a bajillion goals in junior and was also like a teammate of Connor McDavid. So that's where I'd maybe have a little bit of like the trepidation with that is like, good word. Thank you. I, I, I I probably, I probably used it improperly, but like I would rather, I would have, I'd rather look back and say, why the fuck didn't they take Alex Dabrinkat? But a bunch of teams could have said that, and of course he fell to Chicago because why not? But I do agree with you. It it like it sucks in hindsight, but we also have to remember, like in 2016, that was looked at as a pretty damn good pick for where they got him. It was like the the value was through the roof because this guy had so much talent. It just hadn't completely clicked together like we were hoping for. But say love you. I digress. What are you gonna do, right? Yeah. It just I just think it's funny that yeah. Where's our late round picks, Ken Holland? You did it all the time with Detroit. Where's ours? Okay. Um, so let's talk about Dave Tippett. So this is the seventh straight loss for Dave Tippett, considering the last two games that were won, he was not on the bench for. Congratulations, David. Um, uh, somebody brought this up on Twitter last night, and I think it. I think it's very interesting because how is it that multiple defensemen go from Bakersfield, come up to Edmonton, and are just, like, not very good. Or they look really good when they start, and then it's like they develop a bunch of bad habits. Because somebody on uh, on Twitter had actually pointed out, like, the overall gap control from a lot of these guys on the team. And, like, why are you allowing that much space? Is it so that you have an easier opportunity to break out in the transition? I, I... I don't know, but that that seems a little silly um, because it seems like every defenseman on this team is very comfortable giving like seven feet of space for a player to work their way in and get an easy shot on goal. And this brings me back to Dmitry Samarukov is the guy has two bad plays. And yes, I completely agree wholeheartedly that those are two really bad plays to bench the guy for the rest of the game is fucking atrocious. I think that's such an awful thing you can do as a coach to a young player and especially a, like a young player that just came back from what was it like uh we have like a broken jaw like coming back from an injury gets to gets to finally show up in his first game you know flew his wife out here so she could watch the game and what 2 minutes of ice time come on man like this is this it's the same shit he did in um uh game 4 against Winnipeg you know, they, if, if, if final like a, a mistake happens, nope, you're slapped to the bench, you're done. And like you pointed out, they had a really good sequence. I'm sorry, I know you've been wanting to talk. Go ahead. No, that's fine. But it, like we've talked about this before on the show about like how coaches lose the room. And I don't think, and as you'll hear in the interview with Jonathan Torrance shortly, that he talks about like how the minutia of a team and how like fragile it can be and how little things in people's personal lives can affect like the fi- the fiber fabric of a team itself. So like Sam Rukov, like you said, broken jaw, he's a young guy. I think a lot of players on the team have like known him and been to camp with him and stuff like that. So I think that there's a relationship there. Flies his wife from Russia, not from fucking new york or florida or california flies her in from russia to watch the game big deal right to bench him 
after two minutes and 28 seconds of ice time. I can see, you know, after giving up that second goal, you maybe make him ride the pine till the end of the period, bitch him out in the locker room uh, in between periods so that he, you know, gets his ass chewed out a little bit and comes back with some fire lit under him. But to sit him for the rest of the game is just, I think I is it a dick move is the term that I think you used and that a lot of people on Twitter use, but like it's, it's ignorant. It really is. Well, and it also led to some pretty unfortunate events, which was Slater Cuckoo taking that. I think, I think it was a holding call. He had a little bit, uh, not, not long after that. And that was just because Slater Cuckoo is playing way too much time. Like this guy is not a top four defenseman. He's not a top pairing defenseman. He's a, he's a, uh, a bottom pairing defenseman who plays limited minutes on this team. And then, in addition to that, you have Duncan Keith, who's being saddled with 26 minutes of ice time. And right. making just as many mistakes, and we, oh, we like to talk about accountability, and we like, and fuck that, man. You've, you've clearly thrown that out the window after you've let Duncan Keith commit mistake after mistake after mistake, and continuously get given more and more leash. Especially so, with with Nurse out of the lineup, guy who usually plays like 26, 28 minutes a game, to set yourself down to five defensemen and like redistribute all of that ice time to five guys is going to lead to, you know, these are NHL players. They're not, um, you know, scrubs off the street, but like some tired boys, some, and some, like, some not fresh legs, especially coming back from a Christmas break. Like also, yeah. And just let the guy get the game under him. You let him play for two minutes. You're telling me you you couldn't have found him an extra eight minutes in this game to maybe get his legs under him. To make matters to make matters worse, Nolan, um, the Oilers are now five for twenty nine in their last twenty nine power plays. Beep boop beep, seventeen percent. That is very far off the early season pace of fifty. How the mighty have fallen. Uh, another big issue. Okay. So what are the two biggest issues for the Oilers right now? I want to get move on here, but the two biggest issues that I can think of for the Oilers right now is their defense and their special teams. Because if your defense is going to play the way that this, this team does, you damn near need to score every power play or every other power play. Uh, and I think that that is a large contributor to why they have had the lack of success that they have over the last number of games. Like I'm utterly spellbinded how bad this team is defensively. It's just, it's, it's actually, it's shocking. It's completely shocking. And it's, it's not just the shots on net. It's the quality of shots on net that they're allowing. And then the goaltending just has to bail them out every time. And it's the same fucking thing. And it seems like, like, it, it honestly seems like it's a system thing more than a personnel thing. And I just don't know, I don't know what to do with this at, at, at this point in time. It's just... It drives me nuts. It drives me completely insane. I'm losing my mind. Well, it's a good thing then, Nolan, that they uh, are playing New Jersey tomorrow night and have four more games on the road before coming back to play at home against the Islanders. Is there anything else Oilers-related you would like to talk about, or do you want to have a group cry about the World Juniors? Let's have a group cry, cry about the World Juniors. So we wanted to talk about it last episode and um, it would have been topical last episode, but either way, I think that it's important to say that the leadership core for team Canada was uh, Sir Caden Gooley with, uh, with the C Jake neighbors and Cole Perfetti getting the A's very cool. Um, hate, hate to give a free shout out, but bar down did a little bit of an interview with all of the, it was like a seven minute video of all the players on the world junior team and like a most likely to, and, 
have their little faces up for like who's the teammate who needs to throw in a piece of gear like who's got the weirdest pregame ritual all that sort of stuff but uh one of the questions that got asked was who's the toughest guy to play against and it was like 20 out of 22 guys said Caden Gooley he's just a freak d-man strong on the puck like long stick active stick hits hard and very cool to see a guy who plays for the pa raiders get the c for the world junior team so very stoked we got to see him there for two minutes or two games maybe i'm <laughs> maybe i'm an asshole for saying this i didn't think Caden Cooley was very good in the few games i saw i think you're wrong that's okay we can agree to disagree because you know why? Because we love each other, and that's and that's all that matters. <laughs> Thanks for coming to ASMR with Miles Nolan. Oh, I actually have a new sound for you today. Oh no! Oh, that's refreshing. We call that <laughs> we call that on the bench audio, the Gatorade model. Imagine, imagine if, uh, imagine if like the on ice audio, like when guys are mic'd up, it's just like ASMR out there. <laughs> like you see, like Connor McDavid <laughs> flying around. He's like, "Hey, Leon, uh, I got a, I got a fidget spinner from Lauren for Christmas. Would you like to see it?" And he like goes right up to his mic. <laughs> he just pulls it out of his skate, pulls it out of the top of the CCM. Connor, I got some pop rocks. And he's just like, he just dumps a bag of pop rocks in his mouth and like, they go right up to the mic dump. <laughs> we are off the, we are off our rocker now. Not off the schneid, we're off our rockers. There's uh, a market for that, say what you will. <laughs> but uh, yes, the oiler, or pull, <laughs> the Team Canada. Playing in the rink that the Oilers play in. There's <laughs> there that. You I, go. I get where you were going. Okay, good. Uh, on Boxing Day, they beat Chechnya six to three. Where? Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it Chechnya? Isn't that how it's pronounced? It's, che- it's Czechia. Czech. Are you sure it's Czechia? Absolutely positive. I thought it was Czech- pronounced Chechnya. No, Chechnya is a Russian province. Fuck! I'm an idiot. Read a fucking book for once, guy. Muhammad is the most commonly used on <laughs> name on earth. <laughs> and they, so they, can I can I give you a little history lesson for a second? I know it used to be the Czech Republic, and they yes. recently renamed. They did not. They rename. went through a rebrand. <laughs> it it is a rebrand. So like Czech Republic is anglicized, so that's like what like North Americans would call it. But that would be like people calling us like Canadian Republic, and we're like, no, we're Canada, so they are Czechia. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you for the history lesson. I can't wait to get memed. Uh, yeah, really good game. Uh, well, n- not starting, but uh, luckily they they cleaned it up for uh, for the Canadians. Uh, Owen Power had a hat trick, and yeah, this uh, this guy looks really good. Uh, all those all those pre draft concerns about Owen Power like not being like a real number one defenseman, I think are kind of incorrect because, uh, yeah, he's, 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 he's really good. I, uh, I, I will be the first to admit that I was an Owen power hater. Really? Yeah. I thought that uh, baby Hughes was going to be the best defenseman out of that class. And oh yeah. I remember us talking about that. Tough, tough luck, miles. Tough luck. Yeah. Teammates now. Teammates so, now. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Go and, blue. uh, 
Stanislav Svoz. Okay, you want you want to take this one? I'm yeah. usually good with names, but I'm I'm letting you take this one. Yeah, just so I can butcher it. Uh, member of the Regina Pats and Columbus Blue Jackets draft pick Stanislav Svozl. You already fucked it up because you called him Stanislav. Yeah, Stanislav. <laughs> there you go. Svozl. Okay, there you go. Svozl gets a goal for the <laughs> Czechia junior team. We love to see it. Uh, pretty, I've seen a few Pats games this season, and I've been pretty impressed with how that kid skates and how that kid plays. So it, I was watching the TV, and it was like the meme of Leonardo DiCaprio like pointing at the TV and be like, I know what's going on there when he scored the goal. So very cool to see a hometown boy, not really hometown, score a goal uh, for his national team. Have you have you had a couple of beverages watching him uh, score some goals on Boxing Day? No, I did not. I don't. No, uh... I'm 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 talking because you said because you said I've been to a few Regina Pats games and I oh. said have you had a few beverages? Oh, buddy, Moose Jaw, banging on the glass, <laughs> throwing hats on the ice, white leather couch lives for New Year's Eve. <laughs> I used to be a piece of shit. Miles, were you slicked back or pushed back? You think this is slick back? This is, oh yeah, that's slick back real nice. <laughs> he likes me. He really likes me. I'm not a piece of shit. Okay, sorry. We we have to calm down on the I think you should leave references. We're getting a little out of control. Yeah, Tim Robinson's <laughs> going to send us a cease and yeah. assist. And then Canada followed up by beating Austria 11-2. to Holy shit. And Connor Bedard had four goals. Didn't he have like five points in total? Yeah, because I know he had that really sick pass, including a natural hat trick. Yeah, ridiculous. Bing, bang, boom. Connor Bedard in his room scoring goals. Uh, like, pa- sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, uh, didn't McDavid have like four points his entire for, like sixteen year old World Junior uh, campaign, and then Bedard had four goals in one I, game? I do believe you are correct. Um, we all know how Connor Bedard ended up in his World Junior careers, but yeah, for the first first season of World Juniors, uh, Bedard doing very scary shit. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about, Nolan, because I think this is kind of an interesting discussion, is the and it's it's an every year tradition at the World Juniors where you know it's it's two teams too many, or there's one too many team, there's two too many teams in this um, tournament that make a mockery of themselves and. Uh, you know, take away the competition and, and they should have them out of there. Uh, those teams, generally speaking, are Switzerland, Denmark, Austria, Latvia, and Belarus. Uh, what are your, and one time it was Germany as well. What are your opinions on that? Because there's a tweet from Scott Wheeler of The Athletic that I, I think very well encompasses my opinion on it. Um, but I want to hear what you think. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think when you when you d- have the discussion about relegation, I think it enforces it enforces these national programs to get better at developing young talent. Slovakia is a really great example of this. I was actually talking about this with Taylor because obviously Slovakia used to be one of the, I mean, one of the upper echelon programs for national team development. You know, Marion Hosa, Marion Gabrick, uh, friggin' oh Big my Z. god. Yeah, uh, Pavel Dimitra, RIP. All these guys were coming from that program, and it was one of those teams that when the Olympics came around, watch out for Slovakia, they're really good. And then it's been ever so recently, probably the last 10 years or so, 
that there's this discussion happening again of like, should Slovakia even be invited to these events? And lo and behold, they had a ton of talent this year. Um, Oh God, I'm terrible with names right now. But the LA Kings prospect who plays for Kingston, plays with Shane Wright, had was is everybody's been talking about him as just a wonderful prospect and just full of talent. And there are two, I believe, two projected top ten picks this year that come from Slovakia. So I think it I think it reinforces a lot of these teams to 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 really work at it and to really motivate them in order to in order to develop young talent i agree with you wholeheartedly and this is essentially what i was trying to get at uh to quote from team canada's world junior coach dave cameron he said i'm not sure that game does either team any good in terms of getting better i don't think either team learned a whole lot ken campbell follows that up by saying bingo uh, from dave cameron world junior championship has at least too many teams and countries blah 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 so again, this tweet that I was getting at from Scott Wheeler at the Athletic, uh, no free ads. I couldn't disagree in stronger terms. Switzerland, Denmark, Austria, Latvia, and Belarus, the five countries that typically make up those too, too many teams, have produced 120 NHL players. Germany, once one of those teams, uh, now has produced 42 NHL players, thanks in large part to its U20 program. And I, again, think that you're hitting a nail on the head in terms of like what this tournament does. And we'll get to what uh, I think Slovakia's goalie said about how excited guys are to play in this tournament because Mm -hmm. they know how big of a stage it is. Any young hockey player, junior hockey player um, playing for your national team at the World Junior Championships is like your highlight of junior. Like you make that team, like that's something that a guy can talk about for the rest of their life. And there's a lot of NHL players that, you know, do talk about it and have bets in the dressing room in their NHL team. Like, oh, well, Canada, US is playing the World Juniors tonight. Like loser has to wear the other team's jersey. Ha ha. Like it's it's something that has um, a fraternity around it. So yeah, it's absolutely huge for growing the game. If the NHL wants to uh, grow the game globally and have more smaller countries be prominent in producing players and grow their U20 programs, like you need to shut Ken Campbell's mouth and not let him say shit like that because that is not good for anybody. It just comes off very elitist more than anything. Like, oh, you, uh, you know, these other countries are not good enough. And also just like, if you're not gonna watch it, then don't watch it. That, that's that's my that's my ultimate point. Is like if if you're not gonna watch it, don't watch it. If you're if you're not entertained by Connor Bedard Connor Bedard scoring four goals, then what the fuck is wrong with you? Call me Bedard from now on. <laughs> Bedard. I'm very wow. Bedard with what's happening right now. <laughs> but it's it's just yeah, I I I I agree wholeheartedly. Like you 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 let these teams really work at it, and it it's not gonna come overnight, but a lot of these teams are, are are going to become good again. And there's ebbs and flows to everything, right? Like the U.S. was another program where, you know, are we talking early to early or, you know, early to late 90s? That development team was was not very good. No, <laughs> and, and, they, they, and, and, and they, they weren't punched, producing talent. And then they punched a bunch of money into it and, and, and like have been pretty damn dominant with and, a lot of players going top five and maybe an unpopular opinion but they might be the favorites at the 2026 olympics like they're gonna they're gonna be really good oh by the way we we also haven't recorded since the olympics got canceled but yeah olympics got canceled boo Boo. um it was kind of expected at this point but whatever um nolan two guys i want to give a shout out to from this tournament um because if you have been following along tournament got canceled got called off yesterday no more 
World Junior Championship in 2022. Uh, Luca Mutzenberger, Oilers draft pick, third round from, I believe, this last past year's draft, uh, had one goal and one assist in two games for the Germans. And Xavier Bergo, a player that we were very excited about, the Oilers' first round pick from last year. Um, we were hyping him up, stoked. He's having a great season and should win again ladies and gentlemen, but unfortunately at the tournament, he had zero points in two games with two penalty minutes and just a thick, thick French accent. Like you did, need subtitles to listen to this guy. Did he actually play that second game? I thought he got, I thought he got, I thought he got the concussion at the end of the first one. Mm. I might be wrong. I got my, but... these stats are off of a hockey DB. So I, Oh, I oh think... they're probably also counting the, the, the preliminary game or whatever the hell that was. Um, no, I, I, I totally get what you mean. Um, and speaking of Luca Munzenberger, though, I'm actually glad you brought him up because everybody I had been sort of following on Twitter and some of the stuff I've been reading about all said that he actually had a pretty damn good couple games there and he like looked pretty solid and looked like he was a really good prospect. And then what I was reading after that was that um, the just University of Vermont has just been a really awful team. And uh, it has not helped him whatsoever. So that's a guy that I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing him playing in Bakersfield because you never know. Another guy, German, young talent, raw talent. Maybe this is something that they can kind of mold into something important. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think that we would be remiss uh, to not mention. So the IHF has been a fucking punching bag the past day. And a bit, Jesus Christ. even before that, um, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that the NHL absolute or not the NHL, the double IHF absolutely botched uh, this tournament even before it began when they decided to go ahead with the men's tournament and completely cancel the women's tournament. Uh, we don't yeah. like that. Uh, and it's then it's scummy. Yeah. It's scummy. It's not a good look for the international ice hockey federation. It's not a good look for the game overall. Um, like, disappointed but not surprised and i think that that in itself says more than anything we can say so double hf you got to do better for the ladies uh if that's not um that's a game you're trying to grow that's something that needs to have a higher priority on your totem pole and we got to see it a little bit last year with the ncaa uh, when the men's tournament like had you know full gym racks and squat racks and swag bags with 100 different things and then the women had like a dumbbell set and like deodorant in their bags yeah so yeah if we're gonna grow the game you gotta grow it for both populations let's do better double ihf let's do better everybody before we move on to the last few things here before we get to uh uh jt and i don't mean john tavares uh should we discuss uh the uh, Instagram post by Simon Latkozy. Yes, I think that that's a good transition. Go ahead. Okay. Are you, you going to read them all? I can. I think, man, they're fucking pretty broken English. They're tough. <laughs> okay. And I think that it's important to say before full disclosure, this is Team Slovakia's goaltender who was playing in Red Deer, the smaller venue. Yeah, so... Essentially, what happened was is, um, and this was kind of discussed. I know I'm saying on Twitter a lot, and I apologize, but that's just how I learned ab about a about a bunch of this stuff is via Twitter because Twitter's wonderful. It's not totally a cesspool of negativity, but uh, Simon Lakosi, the uh, goaltender for Team Slovakia, basically went on a rant on Instagram mentioning a couple of problems with how the Double IHF had had taken care of this incident 
which was first and foremost they had a wedding at the the, like they they had a wedding at the hotel all the teams were staying at in Red Deer. While this was going on in Red Deer, I believe this is where most of Group B was at was in Red Deer. I I I could be wrong in that. Uh, all but of Group that's, B was in Red Deer. Okay, all of Group B was in Red Deer, and that's obviously where the COVID cases were breaking out. And it was mentioned that basically there was a wedding that was going on at this Red Deer hotel, and a lot of the people that were in attendance at this hotel were not masking, were not properly social distancing, and the players were not able to do this in the slightest either. Which makes me wonder, are there, is there like one friggin' hotel in Red Deer or something? Like, could they not have, could they not have just booked an entire hotel out? Because for all these players, you probably, truly, like, truly you could have found something, right? I, I think so. You but once so Red Deer isn't a isn't a huge city. Um, so by the time you factor in all the teams, all the personnel, uh, all the family members, blah 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 that are coming to these events, plus all the people that are just there for business, it's the holidays, right? Plus all the people that are there for weddings and the tournament itself. I think that you get near capacity pretty quick. I think that it's a similar issue that like a city like Regina would have if they were in charge of the of the World Junior Championships. So. Like, that's kind of what you get when you have the tournament in a small city. They would have been better off going Calgary and Edmonton. It, it all, it just, it just doesn't make sense whatsoever. Um, so, and 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 you feel bad for a lot of these guys too because they obviously miss their families at Christmas time. So they were not only away from their families at Christmas time; they were away from their families in fucking Red Deer. <laughs> Sorry, Red Deer, but like watching watching dudes play Big Buck Hunter in full camo. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Oh my god, it's like it's fucking Terry and Diener from Fubar just like hang hanging out in the hotel room. Uh, just kind of a just kind of a mess of, of of a whole situation. So our thoughts go out to all those players that are not able to play the rest of the tournament. Um, Looking forward to seeing Connor Bedard continue to be uh, incredible, and um, there is talks about them trying to maybe bring this back in the summer to maybe finish it off. So we'll see. Hopefully that can happen. That'd be that'd be kind of cool to see. I don't know if they'll like erase the forfeits that either the U.S. or what was it, uh, Finland had. So we'll see if that gets changed. Out. I highly doubt. I highly doubt this thing happens again. I don't think they can, man, especially in the summer. Like this is like a number of these players are draft eligible this year. They're going to have rookie camps. They're going to have um, training, like just a bunch of shit going on. They're going to have busy summers. How are you going to schedule a three week tournament? Who knows what COVID's going to be like, including a quarantine yeah. period beforehand. Like, are you able to make substitutions if a guy gets hurt? How does that process work? I just think that they're better off kiboshing it. No champion this year number of leagues had to do that last season they can live without having a world junior championship it sucks but like let's you know call a spade a spade and, and look at things for face value here canada won gold uh anyways move on <laughs> uh <laughs> so the last thing we're going to mention is for the uh for the 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 hockey roundup before we get to our interview is uh big outdoor game in minnesota at uh the twins ballpark target field and it's the blues in the wild and that's pretty exciting pretty awesome 
It's looking like it's supposed to be minus 22 degrees Celsius that game. Um, we love a cold, we love cold weather sports in the cold. I'm very much so looking forward to when I think, okay, when I think of the winter classic or when I think of an outdoor hockey game, for some reason, maybe it's because of how old I was when I saw it for the first time, but I always think about that game. I think it was the Oilers who played uh, Montreal and Jose Theodore had a toque over his helmet. And I just remember, I remember that still picture of his head kind of bent and he had the toque on and it's just so cool. So man, if somebody does that, this game, there's going to be some little kid in, in their living room, watching it with their parents being like, I want to be a goalie. And that's going to make my Grinch heart grow three sizes. Fun fact, everybody, that's actually Miles Fuchs. He just went through like another dimension and he's actually, a, he's actually a child again. He's the size of a child, but he's actually a man. He's a man imposing as a child. So keep your eyes out for a young Miles Fuchs because he is a criminal and should be arrested on site. That's not defamation at all. (laughs) Well, Miles, how about we get to our interview with Jonathan Torrance? I can't wait. That's great. I can't wait. That's great. I can't wait. Zero, zero. Joining us this week on One for One is Canadian royalty. <laughs> you may recognize him from shows like Street Sense, John O'Vision, Call Me Fitz, Mr. D, or you might know him from his 15-year residency on a little-known show called Trailer Park Boys as Jay to the ROC, a, six, uh, a podcaster himself, an accomplished screenwriter for shows like Letterkenny and his new show on 5TV1, Volleys a very active Oilers fan on Twitter and a voice of peace and reason when we all need a little bit of that. Jonathan Torrens, welcome to one for one. Nice to be here, fellas. When you said royalty, first of all, I, I, I've never been called that before. And second of all, I have within arm's reach for reasons I won't bore you. The one picture that exists of meeting the queen of England. Oh my God. That's <laughs> in which suddenly she was two feet in front of me and I got dry mouth. <laughs> and I started like I got really nervous all of a sudden and I started to lick my lips so the one picture of me for those that are listening not watching the one picture of me that exists of meeting her majesty all you can see in the foreground is her crown and then you see me looking at her like she's a snack yeah my you, lips. you look ready to risk it all I was but the best <laughs> you... part about this interaction with the queen it's actually a good story uh, it was CBC's 50th anniversary, and they got some Lyndon McIntyre's and Rick Mercer's is and a couple of those folks to receive the Queen. And the, they take you to Queen school. Like, you have to learn your script, and they tell you, like, obviously, don't hug the Queen. Uh, no, like, bro hugs. Uh, don't put your hand on the small of her back. Like, things that should be kind of common sense, but not everyone gets it. Um, but the big thing they drill into your head is don't stray from the script. Like, everything has to stay on time and on schedule. So... My line was like, your majesty, CBC is a place where Canadians from coast to coast to coast come to laugh for five decades now, blah, blah, blah. So I memorized it. And then when she was introduced to me, they said, this is Jonathan. He's a writer or producer. And she says, oh, you're a producer. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, uh, this wasn't uh, on the script. <laughs> yeah. Don't stray from the script. How do I, what verbal baton can I use to get from what she said to what I was supposed to say? And all that came out of my mouth was, yeah, yeah. Uh, your majesty, <laughs> CBC is a place... So I could see in her face, she was like, this guy's a gearbox. So she kind of endured my spiel and left. And I was like, man, I blew it with the queen. Prince Philip comes behind her and says, what do you do here? And I said, oh, I work in children's television. He said, is that you there? 
and pointed behind me and I turned around, there was a Muppet from Sesame Park taped to the wall. <laughs> and then when I turned back around, he was gone. Like just <laughs> drive by this, Prince Philip roasted me and disappeared, it was great. Oh my God, that's, we are off to a hell of a beginning. That's so good. I was I was actually going to say in your photo there, you actually look like Yesipoli Yarvi. With the yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was a few years ago for sure. <laughs> um, and that, speaking of people that bring just instant joy and oh. happiness and levity, I feel like he really gets it. Maybe in a way that he didn't at first, but what a treat to watch him savor every second. Oh, it's 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 so it's he. We have we've waxed we've waxed poetically about Yesay on on this show so far. So um, I do appreciate you chiming in and agreeing with us in that uh, in uh, that fashion um i i guess to kind of get to it um overall like how's how's the year been holding up for you we're almost coming to a close right now and uh i mean you know it's another year of in in the pandemic still how how are you holding up out there great <laughs> is a short answer i the slightly longer answer is i've had to find like a lot of people new ways to do my old job um, whereas I would typically travel to a set and uh, have lots of support and lots of people helping to create a TV show, for example. Um, in this case, I've had to do a lot of it from home in the last year and a half. Yeah. So I've been duct taping iPads to ladders in the forest and figuring out lapel mics and like really distilling the process down. Um, Jeremy Taggart and I, uh, had a record come out from our podcast um, during the pandemic. So we had to make music videos. And the only way to do that was to film myself. And to do that, I had to figure out how to play the music back so I could lip sync to it. Um, had to figure out interesting angles and do the costumes. And um, it's kind of the happy byproduct of it is I, I have a renewed interest and vigor in what I do because I was reminded of how cool the process is. That's awesome. So I, I feel weird. I know it's not everyone's experience. I know that the, it's a crock to say we're all in this together because we're not. We're all in very different versions of this together. My version of it has been pretty great. I like my roommates. Uh, I like where we live. Life hasn't actually changed a whole lot, um, but I know that's not everyone's experience. No, for sure. And just kind of touching on what you were talking there about, uh, like the production and all the, you know, renewed vigor that you have there on on volleys there, it, it says that you're writing, directing, starring credits, like on every episode, um, seems to be very much like an extension of yourself. How did the idea for that show kind of come to fruition? What was the process there? And also, it sounds like it's been greenlit for a second season. Yeah, yeah, it has. Um it, it was born out of a happiness exercise during COVID, to be honest. Um, there's a proud tradition in, on the East Coast of Canada, the must be nice factor. Man, people in Toronto get everything, or if we had more money, we'd do this. Or, you know, the, there's the instinct of crossing your arms and sitting on the couch and thinking like, man, people in other places get everything. I don't know if it's the same in Saskatchewan. Oh, um, we, we, I think the, the Maritimes and, and the Prairies have like a little bit of a like Venn diagram of similarities because we all everybody I like feel that too. metal, you know? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I cut you off. I, no, no, not at all. I, I feel like there's a shared resentment of the haves. I mean, the funny thing is, as you know, when you move to Toronto, a lot of people from there are from Saskatchewan and the Maritimes. Yeah. Anyway, um, 
there are probably more of them than there are actual people from Toronto. But uh, in the interest of um, sort of uh, making a list of what I did have available to me, I was like, man, if I was going to make something, what, what do I have? I have an old truck. I have a lobster costume. I have uh, my father-in-law has this building he's not using. Um, my wife has a cool bike. And suddenly I was like, what kind of world could I make with all these disparate elements? I never imagined in Truro, Nova Scotia, I'd be able to make a TV show. But um, the older I get, the more drunk on my own power I become. <laughs> and the thing about uh, a bigger network, for example, is there are so many cooks and often not one chef. So the idea of making smaller paychecks, but more of them and having the end product be at least kind of what I meant uh, is pretty appealing to me as is sleeping in my own bed. So I like the idea of doing a show about volunteer firefighters. They're so integral to our community here. Um, they do everything. They, they get to medical emergencies before the ambulance does often. They help direct traffic when there are accidents, put out fires, of course. And my second thought was, although I've never seen a comedy set in a fire setting, I can't afford fires. So then the <laughs> idea became, well, what if it was about a fire brigade that didn't have fires, what would they do? So we shot it in six days during lockdown in our fire station in the spring. So what it came down to as far as the second season is I had to buy a fire truck. So I bought a 1979 LaFrance foam pumper uh, for 6,500 bucks because you can't do a show about firefighters without a truck. <laughs> and I got it. It's so heavy. I live on a dirt road and I've gotten it stuck in my driveway three times because when you floor it, which you have to do to get her going, the wheels will spin and it'll just sink down. So I had to call a tow truck in the summer. And my father-in-law is like, dude, like you need a tow truck in the summer. What's wrong with you? So I finally got so frustrated. I said to our friend Paul at the network, are we getting a second season? Because if not, I'm going to put the damn thing on Kijiji tonight. And he was like, oh, it's not okay. Yes, you can have the second season. That's a hell of a way to find out you're getting a, another run. That's awesome. Sheer frustration. <laughs> like I was at the point where I would rather sell the truck than have to deal with it again. I, That's I guess when the, the good things happen. I guess the ultimate question is, besides you with a show about firefighter, about volunteer firefighters, who in their right mind is buying a uh, 1970s fire truck? Well, it's a great question. Um, there's a, a sort of a... Um, it's not a museum. It's like an appreciation center for fire trucks. And they were selling a couple because they had even older ones coming in, like a 1929 or 1936 or something. So I remember thinking 6,500 bucks, that's not bad. And then my second thought was much like yours, like, well, but really, what is the market for these things? And it turns out a Ritchie Brothers auction near me, they put a few fire trucks through every year. And it like... There's a ladder truck from Charlottetown or wherever. Who else wants that? <laughs> like what? It, <laughs> it's such a huge vehicle. What is the point of it? So I was really thankful to be able to get it because it looks cool. That's 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 in, that's incredible. <laughs> um, if I panned the camera, by the way, you can see the damn thing sitting on my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your wife must love that. Well, she keeps asking when it's going into storage for winter, and I keep pretending I don't hear her. But now, <laughs> I, I I think I'm good till spring. Um, now, I mean, the elephant in the room is at least for 
for for Miles and I, um, myself and well, us and many others know you for your massively iconic role as J Rock on Trailer Park Boys. Um, is that like a is that a role that like you get sort of? I, well, I guess you wouldn't get stopped on the street now because we're in the pandemic. But is that is that something where you'd get like stopped in the street before and kind of get asked like to you know to do like the J Rock note? Because I, I I think it's funny because you're you're more of like the Christmas special Jamie rather than like J Rock. In real life, it's true. <laughs> um, well, I would say a couple of things about that. People of a certain age, that's definitely probably the show they know me the most from. And just as it was starting to evaporate in the rearview mirror and Netflix picked it up and now there's a whole new group of teenage, mostly boys, um, <laughs> all over the world that love the show, which is crazy because the technology has changed so much. Like season one of Trailer Park Boys looks dated. Like it, it looked bad at the time by design um but it it continues to surprise me that someone who's 15 from oslo norway would find trailer park boys funny that makes no sense because to us it was very local specific dialect um so i went to school with those guys and mike clattenberg did too uh knew a lot of J-Rocks in my real life and wanted to pay loving tribute to them. And I was worried at first, I was worried at first that members of the rap community would be like, man, they, they would miss it and think I was making fun of them. And then I wasn't sure how the actual real J-Rocks would, would uh, interpret it. Uh, the guys I knew in the rap community were like, thank you for making fun of these idiots. And the real J-Rocks were like, thanks for repping us on TV, dog. <laughs> so it, it kind of landed in the valley between both camps, thankfully. Um, but we did the first season in like 2001. So my life has changed a lot since then. Uh, what interests me has changed a lot since then. Mostly, I feel like I did every possible thing I could do with that character and didn't want to do it a disservice by sticking around and ramming it into the ground, right? Season, yeah. I think it was nine j-rock got a kid that felt like new uh story turf for him um season 10 we tried this thing where i went to mexico and came back and came back with an accent which if you watch the christmas special j-rock was jamie he was into grunge so we'd yeah. sort of established that he kind of tries on different um social patterns as a personality so then what do you do after that? I, I just didn't want to like every seven pages drive up and say, put a shirt on Randy, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just <laughs> felt like, uh, honestly, I think one of the things that's allowed me to have a career instead of just a role is that I haven't overstayed my welcome anywhere. No, yeah. for, for sure. And, and that was one of our questions was kind of like, how did you know when it was time to get out of Trailer Park Boys? But it sounds exactly like you kind of answered that. <laughs> you kind of, well, like I've, you said- I've always done that. Um, I, I had a show called John Vision before Trailer Park Boys. Uh, CBC wanted another season. I wanted to do it after dark. Um, we had kind of a disagreement. So I was like, ah, I think that's enough of that. Um, left Trailer Park Boys before it was kind of officially over. I think that's what's allowed people to reimagine me. Um, my character on Mr. D is so different than my character on Trailer Park Boys. My character on Letterkenny is so different than my character on Mr. D. Um, just finished doing a couple of days on Shorzy, the first Letterkenny spinoff. My character is super different. Um, I, I think it's always just philosophically better to leave before the audiences leave. Yeah. 
I mean, name some of the characters that you've played there. Let's let's talk about range for a second. Hey, this guy can can kind of do it all there. Um, I did have one question about like the letter Kenny. Obviously, you know, you're a hockey guy, it's a hockey related show. You're an East Coaster. What would be some of your favorite hockey slang? Um, Jared Kiso is so uh, woven into that universe. Um, it's it's important to be crystal clear that I, my name is credited as written by on seven or eight episodes of Letterkenny, but the whole show has his and Jacob Tierney's hands all over it. Um, it's really their world. We're just living in it. Um, I like... I don't know. Riley and Jonesy just make me laugh. Um, the hockey players on that show. Mostly I like words that are out of a hockey context spoken in that kind of language, like uh, Sando instead of sandwich. I was just going to say. It's a great that. example. Yeah. yeah. Like, like uh, uh, saucy uh, for a saucer pass is funny. Sando, like things that have nothing to do with hockey players, th- those are the ones that make me laugh the most, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, and actually, to kind of tie this to what we're going to talk about later, I mean, uh, Riley, son of Jim Playfair, the Oilers assistant, the Oilers assistant coach. Whoa, small world. <laughs> yes. Can I tell you, this is my favorite Jim Playfair story. And I hope I'm not telling tales out of school. Um, earlier this year, it, it's maybe my favorite story of 2021 and I haven't told it anywhere. Oh my God, um, I'm so excited. <laughs> earlier this year, Dylan Playfair, who's just a lovely guy and a sweet soul and uh, everything you would hope he would be and more, um, posted a thing where he was like, guys, honestly, can you stop asking for my Crave login? Like, this is how the business works. Like people subscribe to Crave to, so that they can watch the episode so that they get money so that they can pay us to make them like it's it's a business so thanks for the enthusiasm but maybe just subscribe to crave that would be that would be super helpful if you could do that instead of asking me for my login so jared kiso gets a text from jim playfair saying can i have your login (laughs) (laughs) he's just sharing it with all the boys on the road he's got david sitting in a room together exactly I just love that Jim, like, saw the message, got it. Okay, no problem. I'm not going to ask you ever again. I'm going to ask this guy instead, because I can tell that well's gone dry. Still still mooching off his son and his son's yeah. friends. Yeah. So, like, through the roles you played and the shows you've been on, like, you've had some, like, unique interactions with different hockey players. Like, obviously, Playfair from Letterkenny, you had um, – mckinnon and camillary on uh mr d you had mckinnon on trailer park boys what's it like kind of you know being a celebrity yourself but getting to meet like these superstar athletes and work with them and like see them in a position where they're like not totally comfortable behind a camera well it's um they're kind of pre-approved like a mortgage right i I always call it the kurt browning factor if kurt browning's a bad actor you're like, yeah, but it's Kurt Browning. He's already excelled in that area. Like you kind of give them some uh, freedom, I think. Um, so they, they've always, in my experience, I never crossed paths. I guess I did. I guess I did with Nathan McKinnon when he was on Mr. D. He was on Trailer Park as well, but that was, I think, after my time there. Um, they're always super polite and happy to be there and really nice. Scott and Tessa 
Uh, the figure skaters did uh, an episode of Mr. D. They were just adorable and lovely and happy to be there and all that. I would say generally the biggest misconception about celebrities is that they'll be remotely interesting. Um, and in a way, the bigger the celebrities, the less they have to talk about other than themselves. Um, a friend of mine was dating Jim Carrey for a while, for example. He can't go to a movie. I That's guess, yeah, I guess like what, what a weird existence. If he does, he has to sneak in after it started and sneak out before it's over. And um, back then, you'd have to, if you ordered a pizza, you'd have to give your phone number. And then pizza delivery guy would be like, I have Jim Carrey's phone number. He'd have to change his phone number all the time. Like, kind of seems a little um, insular and isolating at that level anyway. Um, so that's why I live in the country because the people that I interact with have struggles and hardships and uh, funny jokes and um, good stories. But I think and a lot of people at that level, maybe the only thing they are used to talking about is themselves. Not suggesting that's what these athletes were like on Mr. D. They, they weren't, but just an no observation. Doubt. Yeah, no doubt. And that's the nice thing about living in the country too. And in the Maritimes, your neighbors might even help you pull out a fire truck if it's stuck in your, in your driveway or something like that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My my friend, uh, Dave, who has a a tow truck company called him in the summer to get this um, fire truck unstuck. And cause it was across my driveway. Like I had it going and then took my foot off the gas or something. So it was across my driveway and he came and towed it out. And I said, what do I owe you? And he said, nothing. That's what neighbors do for each other. I love that. So <clears throat> going to hockey, I gotta ask, you're an Oilers fan on the East Coast. How the hell did that happen? Two things. One is age. Uh, <laughs> mid-80s was a pretty good time to be an Oilers fan. And that was kind of when my um, love affair with hockey began. And the second thing is, and this one is maybe more unlikely, there was a broadcaster on CBC named Peter Zosky, um, radio guy, and did a show in the morning called Morningside, and just really naturally curious, old school broadcaster, um, asked lots of great questions, and he spent a year on the bus with the Oilers when they were in, still in the WHL, just as they were kind of making their way into the NHL, they were babies, I think. I think Wayne was 18 and the whole book, even reading it now is called the game of our lives, not to be confused with the game by Ken Dryden um, game of our lives. Uh, he spent a year on the bus with like Messier, Kevin Lowe, Paul coffee. And it was written at a time where it was like this coffee kid could be good if he finds a bit of confidence. So reading it now, knowing what they went on to do is almost doubly cool um so that was the first book that i read in my life that was like this this is my bible this speaks to me you can smell the gear and hear the laughs on the plane and um it it was so uh tactile and experience for me uh so that's how i became an oilers fan um what i mean with that being said um what are your thoughts on the season so far how you feeling I mean, I was feeling great, (laughs) Um, but I I would like all the uh, COVID aside, uh, I saw a thing the other day that said they haven't been winning since Connor did that house tour for Architecture Died. Like everyone wants to look (laughs) 
at all the reasons why the wheels came off the bus, but it's the same thing that I would say to my daughters when we watch a Disney movie. It's a pretty boring story. If it's like the season starts, they crush it all year, long cup run, and they win the cup. So this is our act two, where, oh, there's a bit of question as to what's yeah. going to happen. You know, to use sports cliches, they have to just dig deep and find their <laughs> way back. And I feel like they were. Um, yeah. yeah. It's you're... better that it happened now so they have time to sort things out than it happening in the spring, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. We if you if you've ever if you've ever listened to an episode of ours, it's it's uh, Miles and I. Uh, we, we we well, I don't know. I can't really speak for him. I can more speak for myself. Is on a week to week basis, I'm kind of doing the um, I don't know how to explain it. Like existential wonder of, of why I got myself into this because right. you obviously have those highest of highs and then the slightest little bit of turbulence and it's the lowest of lows again. And it's it, it, but I guess at this point now where you come off of this, you know, 10 year run of not being very good. And then now you have the pressure of two generational superstars on the team that it almost makes it a, a, a little bit tougher to deal with when there is a little bit of uh, when, you know, a little bit of uh, resilience is needed. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's nice to hear that you're at least keeping positive about it. I am. It's almost like um, how paranoia impacts the stock market. If Joe Biden has a chest cold, the market crashes. It's like, <laughs> whoa, you, everyone calm down. <laughs> like lost a few games in a row. That's okay. McDavid's still McDavid. Dreisaitl's still Dreisaitl. Um, Darnell is amazing. Um, but I, I hear you. These are uh, players that we want to see succeed. And suddenly, you know, McDavid's been here a few years. Like, it's time. I'm still in the circle of honesty. I feel like we might be a goalie away. I think, uh, I think we're, we're on the same page. <laughs> I think uh, I did want to, you know, quiz you up a little bit. Um, obviously big off season for the Oilers, a lot of players out, a lot of new guys in, um, like Hyman, Keith, CC, Fogel, uh, Derek Ryan. What are you thinking of some of the new acquisitions on the team and, and how have they kind of met uh, your expectations so far this year? I guess Duncan Keith was, uh, the pursuit of, um, veteran steely presence. I don't know that that has materialized the way anyone hoped it seems like there have been a lot of off ice uh sort of head scratchy distractions and and maybe that's why maybe it takes time to gel it's like dan levy said of Shits creek like the first season we we're just kind of finding our feet and shows need time and so maybe teams need time uh with new chemistry and different components to sort of find their voice. I remember uh, Canadian rocker Barney Bentall, his son-in-law, um, Rob Niedermeyer? Yeah, it was Rob. I don't, I don't think it was Scott. I think it was Rob. Uh, they won the cup uh, and Barney got to be close to it. And um, he said the thing that surprised him about it was if one guy in the room doesn't like another guy's girlfriend, that's enough to like 
just make the whole uh, house of cards collapse. So as crazy as it sounds, it all kind of has to gel. Everyone has to just get on board and be um, chipping away at pushing this boulder up the mountain. And it doesn't take much to throw off that alchemy. I'd never considered that, but um, yeah, maybe it's, it just needs a minute to jive. That reminds me of the, uh, it reminds me of the Mike Hoffman incident in Ottawa with oh. that, uh, with that self-destruction of the Ottawa senators. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but Hyman is, is a wonderful oh. addition. And as much as anything, it sounds like attitude and work ethic. And those are critical components, right? And to hear um, the coach give him props for his work ethic, like that's what you hear about the difference between good, the goods and the greats. I remember seeing a clip um, of Kobe Bryant talking about how uh, when he was in high school, I think he would get up at four in the morning and work out for an hour then have some breakfast and work out for another hour before school. So that one hour he worked out before everyone else compounded over the length of high school is already, he's like, no one can ever touch me because I'm that many hours ahead of them in terms of my training and development. And so it used to be, you could show up at training camp like 15 to 20 overweight and kind of sweat it out over the um, first couple of weeks. But now, as you know, um, these guys have to work all the time. So work ethic is almost as critical. Yeah. Little Kobe Bryant story there. Are you, uh, what other sports do you like? Are you just a hockey guy or basketball or car racing? Anything else like that? Not really. And here's the, the truth is, because I live on the East Coast, the real peril of being an Oilers fan out here is that it was great last year. Yeah, the time change. A lot of the games don't even start till 11. Like I'm oh. almost up tomorrow by the third period. Yeah, same um, So I liked the All-Canadian division when they were playing out East a fair bit. That was a really a treat. Um, so I don't get to watch as much as I'd like. Also, I don't understand... Why is Winnipeg versus Edmonton blacked out in Truro, Nova Scotia? I could get into like a whole discussion about my frustration, my frustrations with blackout coverages because um, I like I, I, I'm I'm of the mind because like I, I I'm not a like a subscriber to to um, uh, NHL Live or whatever the whatever the hell the thing is, but from what I understand is that they still black out the games, and with like Sportsnet now, it's the same thing where they black out the games if you're not in the area where they're playing the game. So like yeah, like you said, Winnipeg versus Edmonton, you can't even watch it on Sportsnet West because it's blacked out only for people that are in the area. So what's the point of getting Sportsnet now then if, if you're so what you can watch a hockey night in Canada game? Woo! Like it's it's right. It just I, seems like I, it would grow the yeah. game if all the people that wanted to watch could watch. And especially in a market like that where if you if you um live there, you probably couldn't even get a ticket. So you might yeah. as well let as many people as possible watch that want to. And especially when the greatest player in the world is on one of those teams, like you would, you, you would Cassian, think, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking Devin Shore, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I figured, uh, Miles, do you have any more? Because I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Miles, did you have any, uh, any questions that you had for uh, Jonathan? I did. Okay. okay. So obviously everybody, you know, knows that the Flames Oilers rivalry is something that's storied long. It's, it's a, it's heated rivalry. Um, is there any other teams that the Oilers play against that you have like a little bit of a, a disdain for? And to give context to that last year from the playoffs and just from the start of the season here, Nolan and I have, have started this kind of idea that like the Winnipeg Jets are the new nemesis for the Oilers. They're like the new rival in town. Is there any other teams that kind of stir your pot when the Oilers play against them? And you're like, they got to win this you know, one for me. Do you know what I, I will say about the Jets? I have trouble perceiving them as a nemesis only because I was doing the Winnipeg comedy festival during the Jets cup run i guess two years ago now two or three years ago and the whole city has just embraced that team in the most wholesome pure non-critical loving way that on i think in my room i was on the whatever seventh floor or something and the office tower across from me every floor go jets go homemade bristle board colored pencils like people making posters and stuff. Um, they're so happy to have them back that I just loved how the city uh, embraced them. So it felt like there wasn't much venom there. Uh, the Leafs, however, <laughs> I have no problem seeing them as a nemesis, um, partially because, uh, you know, I'm sure in the back of his mind, maybe Connor hoped he might end up there. Um, but on the subject of work ethic, it seems like that might be something sorely lacking in that city. Um, so that, for me, that's fun to watch. Although <laughs> we didn't really show up last game. <laughs> um, well, Jonathan, I want to once again, thank you for coming on. Um, I, if, if, you, if you have a couple more, if you have maybe two more minutes to spare me, I just have a few quick little rapid fire questions for you, just Let's so we can it. close out the episode. All right. Uh, First and foremost, favorite oiler, go. Dave Semenko. Ooh. Excellent pick. Like to hear that. You know that. why? Because he beat the he shit out of people. Supporting roles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, next up, favorite Trailer Park Boys episode, go. Uh, probably the one where I got caught pulling the goalie. <laughs> um, Who's the most assassin? Yeah, I've been changed. <laughs> Um, and finally, just to be on brand, your favorite rapper, and you cannot pick Detroit Velvet Smooth. I'm gonna say Snoop. Um, like, like, really, whose whose music do I appreciate and marvel at the most? Probably Eminem. Um, but I'm gonna say Snoop because when Snoop was on Trailer Park Boys, I met him in a scene. It wasn't like. Snoop, this is Jonathan. He plays the role of J-Rock. You guys are going to be having some fun today. It was like action. And I walk up to Snoop and say, oh, Snoop never heard of J-Rock? That's like Run never heard of DMC, bitch. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, I mean, we'll see how this goes. I don't know if he has a sense of humor. I don't know if he's going to shove me to the ground or his security guards are going to step in or if he'll laugh or what. And he looked at me like this and called me a John Denver looking mop. And I really appreciated his sense of humor and realized quite quickly that um, 
in addition to often not being super interesting, they're often pretty, um, you know, uh, they like it when you just talk to them like humans. I always say about celebrities, you can either be a friend or a fan, but you can't be both. So talking to Snoop like, hey, so you, uh, your kid just uh, signed, he's going to USC instead of UCLA. How do you feel about that? Like uh, just talking to him like a human being, I think he really appreciated. Um, so I, I have a fondness and affection for him for that reason. Incredible. I, I, I love, I love to hear that. And that's funnily enough that you mentioned sort of trying to talk to like a fan or a friend. That's kind of what we try and do on the show is we try and let guys come on and just sort of, just sort of cut loose and have a nice casual discussion. But yeah, I dig um, it. Uh, Jonathan, once again, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. We really hope we can get you back on. I know you're probably going to be a pretty busy guy coming up over the next little while, but maybe, uh, maybe after the season's over or maybe in the middle of the playoff run, who knows, but sounds uh, good. Thank you. I'll make you that deal right now. Excellent. I'm, (laughs) I'm, we're, we're really excited. Thank you very much, Jonathan, for coming on. My pleasure, fellas. Happy holidays. Happy Happy holidays. holidays. Take care, man. Good to see you. Thank you very much to Jonathan Torrance for coming on One for One. My goodness, what a fantastic interview. What a funny interview. I laugh so much. I'm sorry if I'm really obnoxious with my laughing. I do apologize dearly. I'm working on it. I had a lot of fun, Miles. Did you? I had an absolute blast. And I think that it's really important that we, you know, say thanks again one more time to, to Jonathan Torrance, but make sure that you support artists. Uh, by supporting what they do. So make sure you check out Volleys if you haven't. I'll be completely honest. You know, I've, I've seen uh, trailers for it, but I haven't actually seen the show. So I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, really looking forward to uh, Shorzy coming out and seeing the work that he does there. And I'm probably going to rewatch Trailer Park Boys again, just because of the nostalgia that I felt around finally getting to meet Jay to the ROC. He's just he's just such an interesting dude and I think that's that's the that's the best part about him. He's just he's so interesting to talk to and he's so funny. He's <laughs> as much as we uh, as much as we have this idea of like what a guy who plays J-Rock to be, he's just he just seems like just such a sweet and kind dude and that's that that just completely rules. Yeah, man. and you know, super underrated show in my opinion is Mr. D. So, if you haven't ever checked it out, do it. Because, like, I made the joke in the interview, like, let's talk about range for a second. But, like, the fact that the dude can go from J-Rock to vice principal, like, overly preppy uh, Robert Cheely is, like, pretty impressive. Those are two drastically different characters. So, good on him for for what he does. And, again, just sick that he's an Oilers fan as well. Very cool. Very cool. And, like, knows his shit, too. Absolutely, man. Like, knows his shit and that that completely completely rocks well miles we're back we're hot we're locked Ah. cock and ready to rock five games coming up holy smokes what do we got i don't know what do we got oh yeah whoopsie days (laughs) 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 well on friday december 31st tomorrow new year's eve we got the new jersey devils then right after taking a trip down to the newly built uh, arena in Long Island, I can't already can't remember what it's called. It's like freaking uh, irritable bowel syndrome arena or whatever. Uh, oh. On January first, uh, the Rangers on January third. Shout out NYR Nick. Shout out Connor Rogers. The Toronto Maple Leafs on January fifth. I'm terrified. 
New York Islanders on January 8th. So we're playing the Islanders twice in a span of uh, like four days, which is kind of, or sorry, a week, literally a week. Three and two. Three and two, eh? I'll be pause. I'll be. I'll try to be positive. Three and two. I'm feeling four and one. Ooh. Ooh. And who? Yeah, and, and who I think that they're going to lose the game against the Leafs. Oh no! What? I don't like hearing that. It makes me. Well, sad. Uh, hey, uh, man, you're probably right though. But uh, like, realistically, if they're staying in the New York area, they're going to be at the same hotel or like limited travel. Um, they're going to get some great Instagrams. They're going to have some studio 54. They're going to have some nice coffees, some pizza, perhaps maybe an Italian sub. I don't know, but they're going to have a little bit of relaxation in a big city and feel pretty cool. I know that uh, everybody does when they go to a big city. Uh, and then they're going to go to Toronto and and Connor McDavid's going to be home and he's going to be, uh, doing some cool shit on the ice. But ultimately I think that they lose that one and then they come home and they're going to rip one. So you're saying that the Toronto game, uh, the the outcome of that relies on the nutritional values of of their New York trip? Yes, absolutely it does. Because if the boys are hammering cronuts, I don't think that they're going to come out of the gate <laughs> hot in Toronto. Yes, yes, it just pops and says, hey guys, I, I got a bunch of pretzels. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, uh, honestly, okay, we didn't talk about it. I don't want to talk about it too long because it's a fucking long episode. <laughs> But how cute is it that when he got stranded in Seattle, all the boys went up to Cats and were like, you got to get him home, man. He's going to miss Christmas. You got to fly him home, man. And he's just like in the back of a plane and all the crew is like is like 10 feet away from him. And they had to like they had to hire pilots that were comfortable with carrying a COVID positive guy. <laughs> it's just it's so, yeah, it's so cute. And the video of. Um, Nurse Puliyarvi and Lagasin coming on the ice today, being like, "Oh, the boys are back!" And Yesse just already has the biggest smile on his face. Dude loves playing hockey. Dude loves the boys. Loves puck. Love Ye- you. Love Yesse Puliyarvi. He's a king. Kisses, kisses. We love you, Yesse. Miles, let's close it out. Thank you for tuning in to the season two, episode fourteen of the One for One podcast. As always, it's been a slice. We hope you had a third as much fun as we did with Jonathan Torrens' interview because I'm going to be riding that high for the next month. As always, ladies and gentlemen, go Oilers go. Go Oilers go.